to the Rocks podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, good morning again. We're going to get started. A new chapter, Mark chapter 4, as we proceed. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Mark. Alrighty, let's pray. Let's begin with some prayer. Heavenly Father, now we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would quiet our hearts and help us to focus on your God-breathed word that is here to bless us and instruct us, correct us, to heal us, to make us whole. So Lord, we open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thinking back to your school days, um, did you have a favorite teacher? Most people have had one that they prefer. Now, I remember in high school, in history, an unfortunate um, situation where I had a a very, a painfully boring teacher um, who just made history really something you didn't ever want to talk about or know anything about. All I remember is waking up when the bell rang uh, (laughs) and cleaning up the drool on my desk. (laughs) TMI, I know. But it's the 8.30 service, and you can take that, you know? So uh, when I was in college, uh, I had to take uh, requirement, Western Civ, the history of Western civilization. So I dreaded the whole prospect, but there was no way out of it. And so I took my seat that morning. I braced myself for the opening snooze fest. And lo and behold, right from the jump, right out from the opening remarks, this Professor Varkados, I still remember 30 years ago, wow, uh, drew me in, was intriguing, easy to understand, and he had this passion, and he was hilarious. And, and you know what? I just remember just sitting up and going, what happened? You know? And, and the teacher made all the difference. And I remember him talking about the Roman Empire and some of the battles right away. And, and man, I wanted to know more. I was interested. He made it come to life. And so uh, I got a good grade in there. I didn't fall asleep. I learned some, some things. But actually, what was in, impactful to me as a, as a would-be communicator, even though I was only 20 years old, um, I wanted to be a good communicator. And I was paying attention to him and his communicating style. And so he made a difference in the way I uh, thought. Now, a uh, famous American writer, William Arthur Ward, said... The mediocre teacher informs, the good teacher explains, and the superior teacher demonstrates and applies. The great teacher inspires. Now, yeah, that was a nice reaction, people. <laughs> Ooh. So uh, that's, of course, the kind of, ge- the kind of teacher than our Lord Jesus was. And that perhaps is the understatement of the century because his words unlocked people's hearts. His words were called words of eternal life. And you have God in a human body speaking with all the wisdom that heaven affords. And so, yeah, he was an excellent teacher for sure, one who inspired you to be a different person. So here in um, Mark chapter 4, we started a new section. Uh, We know that Jesus has been teaching and preaching the gospel, and we've gotten the topics. We know he's been talking about repentance and and loving God and turning from our sins and trusting in him, but we have no actual manuscripts yet in the Mark 
in the Gospel of Mark to show us exactly the details of what he's been teaching, but that all changes today with Mark chapter four. We're gonna get four, um, they're called parables, and, and what the parables are is a specific kind of teaching he was doing. So really, it's just a snippet of a sermon illustration that was teaching not one or two, but several truths. He would tell a story as an analogy, and that would help people to understand on how to couple purposes, as we're going to see uh, this morning. But there's definitely, so here's some context for diving in now to Mark chapter 4. Uh, there's been an apparent change in Jesus' teaching style, and suddenly he's gone to all parables. And the disciples are a little bit confused by the switch. Uh, he will, it will say, uh, from this point on, in this season in Jesus' teaching, he spoke only in parables. When the crowds would gather, he'd say, I've got a story for you. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd tell this story. And so that's what's going on here. He's going to tell a story, the famous story of the parable of the farmer who went out and sowed his seed. There were four kinds of soil that will represent four kinds of people, four kinds of responses. It's a pretty easy analogy. That's all a parable is. But the disciples are going to say, what's up with so many parables? And he's going to answer that in probably one of the most provocative verses in the Gospels, the answer to, what's up with all the parables? Why, why are you using so many analogies like that? I'm just curious. And they also say, and by the way, what does the parable of the sower mean? <laughs> we we want to know uh, in detail. And so Jesus is going to explain that. So let's do this. Mark chapter 4, now that you kind of have the general idea, we'll read through the parable, the questions, and Jesus' explanation. Here we go. Again, Jesus began to teach. So we already know he's been teaching, but it's sort of a different style now. By the lake, Sea of Galilee, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he had to get in a boat and, and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen up, I've got a story for you. This farmer, he goes out to sow his seed. And as he's scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they did not have root. Verse 7 other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they didn't bear grain. Still others, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. Then Jesus said, closed out with, hey, do you have ears? Please use them. All right. He who has ears to hear, hear. Verse 10. So, now, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you guys. But to those on the outside, everything is in parables. So that, now he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6. They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Come on. How then will you understand any other parable? So here comes the template for all the, the rest to follow, right? Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. So when trouble or persecution comes because of their faith or the word of Christ, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, they hear the word, 
but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other stuff and things and their agendas come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. So there you have it. And fantastic, brilliant, compact, chock-full illustration uh, of powerful insights and warnings. Man, the genius of God. It breaks down quite nicely, doesn't it? If we're going to talk about it, first, there's the story is told. Secondly, the, question are, the questions are asked. And thirdly, the explanations are given. How easy is that? So let's dive in. The story's told. So let's isolate just the beginning there. All right, good. So Jesus by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, right? And uh, the crowd is gathering again. And there's so many of them. He needs to put some distance there, a safe distance from the press of the crowds. Um, the, The boat on the water with the slopes going up, I think I have a picture again. We've been been here before, but uh, it's actually this cove here. This is Capernaum up here. This is where he would go to teach the large crowds, and they'd sit here, and they, they, it could accommodate thousands of people. And they've done acoustic tests, as I've told you before. It's incredible. It acts as a, it's the natural God-made topography, a natural amphitheater where thousands could sit there the voice of God would ricochet up off of the waters onto the slopes and into the ears of the listeners. But this parable, ironically, is about the importance of how you listen, whether or not the words of the Son of God are going to make a bit of difference in your heart is the posture of how you listen. And that is the essence of the soil, being good or bad. And it's just alarming that out of four attempts, three go south and one germinates into life that's healthy and reproduces. And so uh, uh, let's talk about this. And so uh, the story is told, you know, he, he's gone to parables. And, and let me just say, the word parable, it means quite literally to throw aside, to cast alongside something in the sense of to compare something. So really our simile, metaphor, analogy, they all work for this. It's a sermon illustration. This would fit perfectly as he's teaching. And then he'd say, let me tell you a story. Let me illustrate what I'm saying by the following story. And that's all it is. So, uh, you know, we do word pictures and similes all the time. As big as an elephant, uh, as busy as a bee, um, as, as boring as watching paint dry, you know. But so uh, the thing about a parable is it's a full-on story. It's got, you know, some of them are really short, one verse, right? And they're more like a simile, right? But, but the parable that we think of is, is a full-on story, beginning, middle, and end, and it's got multiple things to say. And so that's what we're dealing with. So, sometimes they're called an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, the disciples are just surprised by his sudden shift to so many of them. So let's review the story. So the story's told this parable. All right, and I'm not gonna spend a long time on this section because the section that comes explains it all. So let's just get a few things out of the way. First, he says, listen up. And, and the Lord is constantly, and it's so funny, it's about listening with your heart, active listening. Active listening will save you, and, and selective listening can damn you. You'll miss everything by the posture of your ability to hear what's really being said. And, and so that's so funny that on top of the parable being about, you better be a good listener. Because if you're not, and a good listener, we're, we're going to talk about what qualities go into a good listener. But he, he starts out by saying, put, put your listening ears on. You know, he says, listen up. You know, in the King James, behold, 
You know, he's just saying, hey, something important's coming. Come on, sit up. Stop thinking about what you're going to have for lunch or, you know, whatever it is you're distracted by at the moment. He's saying it is a very dangerous and foolish thing to not be fully engaged with the words when it's coming from God. You have to be really careful. And so he does it. So, so he starts out, the farmer. And we already know the farmer is Jesus, okay? Or in this case, the reason he doesn't say the farmer is Jesus, he will later in the parables that come with farmers sowing, he'll, Jesus says, the farmer's me, right? So ultimately, the gospel comes from Christ, but he does delegate that responsibility to Christians. So anybody, uh, any Christian believer fits this. So, so the Israeli farmers in the ancient times here's an agricultural term, broadcasted their seed. And, and it's an agricultural term that just means like this, I have a picture of broadcasting seed. All right, he's broadcasting seed, which I find such an interesting term because we broadcast the gospel, the gospel's being broadcasted as seed, you know, and so it's just interesting to me. Here's another dude over in the Far East, he's, he's broadcasting his seed everywhere. Now, uh, people note right away, thank you for that. You can go back to uh, that. Now, back in those days, they didn't have um, such clear defined borders. And so space was limited. And if you had a property, such and such, it's eked out your property, the farmers would broadcast the seed just hoping you never know. You just never know. Every square inch. And, and here is such an enormously missed truth, but beautiful truth. The lavishness, almost the prodigal, wasteful, lavish way that Jesus just saying, the gospel goes scattered everywhere, even the places where a farmer would know. You know, the limestone's probably right up under there. It's probably a thin layer of soil. Or, oh man, the briars are getting close over there. But into the briars, into the shallow ground, into even the path. Oh, we're near the path. But you just never know. And you just never know where you're going to find a little of that good soil. All right? Now, there's something called uh, crevice gardens in Japan. And uh, let me show you a picture of this. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you wouldn't think you could grow a garden on a sidewalk, right? <laughs> or on the back porch. But there are crevices that you can't even see, and there's some good soil under there, right? But you just wouldn't know it. And so up can come a garden, and you'd be surprised what kinds of things you see walking through the streets of New York City in, in just a little bit of a dirt that's around a lamppost or something like that. They're growing squash and cucumbers and all kinds of things <laughs> going on into the, the gutters, you know? And so this is what, when we go back to the verse, this is what we're kind of talking about. So Christ says, listen, it is not God's will that anybody perish, but everybody come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and be saved. And so he goes into prisons where guys have done terrible things unto death row and goes, Whoosh! what are you doing sowing gospel seed in San Quentin on death row? What are you doing? doing that, you know? I, I, there's, no, there's no good. Oh, you don't really know, do you? And so, yeah, palaces, whoosh, prisons, whoosh, fishermen, whoosh, Judas, whoosh, Pharisees, whoosh. he knows who's who, but you're going to get pelted. You're going to every square inch till every creature on the planet Here's the gospel. What does it say? This is the gospel, Paul says, that has been heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. The gospel is broadcasted 
because of God's great love into every single place. Where did I get saved? You all know the story. I got saved in a bar. I walked out of a bar hearing the voice of God, not audibly, in my spirit. I walked out. I I was 100% saved. Nobody, no Christian talking to me in that moment. I was a born-again Christian, and so was my brother on that sidewalk. Why? Because God, in a disco, what, what are you pelting your seeds in a disco, a dark disco? Because there was a tiny little crack, a tiny little crevice somewhere, and one got in there and started to germinate right away. Oh, they'll never, (laughs) on Judgment Day, the great white throne. Not one person will ever be able to say, you didn't throw any seed my way. And then the Lord will say, Gabriel, roll the tape. (laughs) Oh, that's gonna be sad because the books are open, my friend, and God's got a good memory. The sower's (laughs) willing what about the soil? Well, the soil is so easy. You guys, you guys have had 2,000 years to think about it. That the, and we're so short with the disciples. What does that mean? We're like, what do you think it means? You know, come on. But we've had 2,000 years to think about it, you know? And so uh, the first seed, it, it never germinates. The soil is impenetrable. Uh, well-trodden path, it falls there. It bounces off. And before long, hungry birds are like, oh, wow, thank you, and gone. All right, um, the soil that had little depth is just a thin little layer that covers the, be- the, you know, the substratum of the limestone. Uh, and then, uh, sadly, there's upward growth, a lot of activity, but no downward growth that counts, that makes it alive. And so the sun comes out. There's no moisture. There's no rich soil. There's no root system. And the plant just, you know, really never came to anything. And then thirdly, the seed that comes to life, but it it doesn't reach maturity. It doesn't bear fruit. You know, what a waste, you know. (laughs) Check out the orange tree. Where are the oranges? Oh, well, it doesn't make oranges. Well, why is it an orange tree? Well, you know, it has some problems. (laughs) That's not good. And uh, Jesus is hinting there's a kind of Christian like that. Where's the fruit? It's a Christian, right? It's a Christian tree, right? It's got some problems. And the the problems uh, are about the encroaching, nutrient-sucking, sapping water, sapping other noxious plants that come in and strangle the poor thing so that it can't make the apples, can't make the kernels or whatever it is we're talking about. And then the fourth is the good soil. It's soft by contrast. It's soft. You can penetrate the heart, you know. It has some depth. It's free from encroaching weeds, and it produces a crop. But interestingly, not all of them produce the same yields. And so that's kind of it. So... While these descriptions are fresh, here's what I'm thinking right now. Why don't we just fast forward over the question about why the parables and what does this mean? We'll take the what does this mean and look at Jesus' explanation now of these soils. Okay, let's do that. All right, so actually he says there are four types of soils, right? And he's going to explain them as four different kinds of people. Here's a picture of the four different kinds, okay? So as I talk, you can have something to think about there. So in the first scenario, the farmer is broadcasting the seed, and Jesus says the farmer's the, 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 the seed is the word of God. The word of God is like seed. The only way you are born again is that his seed, not some human idea, but the idea from God is implanted inside your soul. That is the way you are saved. We understand that Jesus is the mode of our salvation, but he uses his word. His word is the agent that will bring life. 
And if you don't get it, even though God is the Savior, Jesus Christ is the Savior, the way he saves is to get the kernel of the gospel, the truth, just the seed inside, and then that will save you. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So he says, okay, I'm, I'm using seed as an analogy here, but I'm not talking about seed that grows up and the thing dies. I'm talking about a seed from God that once that plant grows, man, it's eternal, eternal life compared to what? Getting a seed. Faith comes from hearing the message, right? So unless you hear the message and it goes in, not just here, lots of stuff goes in here and out the other way, right? So David Guzik said, the natural tendency is for the audience to critique the preacher, but here Jesus, the preacher, critiques his audience. The issue is how well they will hear, not well how well he will preach. And so for me, it just blows my mind that your attitude or my attitude can keep you out of heaven. And that's what he's saying. A bad attitude deflects. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the hard heart. So the hard heart, just there's, there's no room for God to get in there. It's like, shut, I've already made my mind up. I told you about the guy I was inviting to Easter service. He said, it won't matter. It will not matter. I'll probably like it, but I'll never change. I can tell you right now. And I said, then don't bother coming. I said, sadly, because you're right. You've already determined, you do, even if you liked it, you would have come. So I, I, I agree with you. Go golfing or, or stay home with your... I didn't really say that. <laughs> I had that attitude anyway. Uh, I, sadly, but I, I, if somebody's saying, I, I already know, I don't want to be there. I don't like Jesus. I don't like anything about it. I don't want it. I don't care. He said, if you do a miracle, it's just I've already made up my mind. Right? Okay, get it? I, I get it. This is the guy, uh, uh, the, the path, the well-trodden path. He's just hard. And it doesn't matter. You know, you can say, I'm hard-hearted because of A, B, and C. Listen, terrible, terrible things have happened to people. And they remain soft-hearted. So you have no excuse. Because anybody with a hard heart that's jaded, that's calloused, it's a willful response there are people in this life who have had unspeakable things happen to them, and yet somehow they are not barred, they are not cynical, they're not jaded. They're open somehow. And so we have a place of responsibility not to close off our hearts, not to be jaded, uh, not to let sin and selfishness uh, do that to us. And then he says, listen, when the seed bounces off of them, so they go to Billy Graham crusade, they go to church, the seed is pelted out there and it's just, right? And so they're the ones, they don't give it a second thought. By the time they're in the car, the devil through his demons are already working distracting, helping them forget because it's his job description. He's the bird of the air that comes in and swoops down. Whoop, you don't want it? I'll take it. And he comes in. Why does God let that happen? Why does the dude let that happen? The dude's saying, I don't want it. Ooh, yuck, ick. And so it doesn't stick around because the devil makes sure it doesn't stick around. That's the essence there. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and be saved. Yeah, that's just crazy. You know what, for me, you know, the house is on fire. The firemen are on the outside yelling to get in and help, and the occupant is barricading the door, reinforcing it with rebar. That's a parable. So as Jesus describes these kind of people, he's saying, could you not be that one? Because I'm the fire guy. <laughs> I'm gonna come in, your house is on fire. But it's not gonna work if you're putting up rebar. All right, so 
the second thing, he says, watch out if you're shallow, if you're a rocky soiled person. The first one was a beside the path people in the Greek there. And this one is the shallow rocky soil people. So the gospel is the real deal and requires uh, the laying of a, of a deep foundation. And so we humans are so limited in our understanding, you know, uh, we have a hard time knowing what's real and what's fake because we see a little activity. We see a hand go up and just say, oh, I've been waiting for this message all my life and praise the Lord and all of this. I don't know. I think, wow, praise the Lord, here's a Bible. You need to get baptized. Come on, we'll disciple you. Can we buy you a hamburger? Let's walk with you. Let me introduce you around. These are the young adults. Come over here. Or these are the young marrieds. You gotta get plugged in. Read your Bible every day. I put a little thing right where you start with the Psalms and the Proverbs or the Gospel of Mark, and we help them along. I don't know. But Jesus says, not all activity that's quick and fast and joyful it says joyfully receives, right? He says, just give it some time and you'll find out. There's fake news and there's fake conversions. Hmm. Come on, hold a little. There's, there's fake news and there's fake everything. There's, there's Gucci handbags and there's knockoff Gucci handbags. <laughs> All right? And so you have Christians and you have knockoff Christians. All right? And the way you find out is as soon as somebody says, you're a Christian, OMG, oh, everybody, praise the Lord. She just found the light. And you got embarrassed the next next week. Where is so-and-so? Oh, done. And Jesus says, as quickly as they spring up, Oh, yes, praise the Lord. As quickly as that happens, as soon as trouble comes, as soon as the family says, oh, you're not coming to Thanksgiving, all that gospel Jesus stuff, oh, praise the Lord. They're done, they're done. Because there's no root. It's not a real conversion. It didn't go in and down and deep. It was just all based on an emotion. You know, and as soon as God, you know, they come back, God's not answering any of my prayers. He's not cooperating. I think you got it wrong. We're the servant. He's the boss. He's the master. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Third, third scenario here. Third scenario. The person really gets saved, but then is not very productive because they're really distracted. They're called the thorny soil people. They get to heaven, I, I think, I'm not making any promises here, but it seems like there was fertile soil and a plant grew up and is healthy, except it's not reaching its fullest potential. And it seems to me that, that there is an, an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, that shows people sort of, as I've said before, crashing onto the runways of heaven and you get pulled out and the angels are got the fire extinguishers and they're, they're hosing you down, but you're there. You have zero reward, nothing to show for it. And, and so, but few, you're there, you're saved. That's what it says. It says you, there are some who will be saved as though by fire. So he's saying, as a, whoa, you just barely, you're like almost singed, right? Uh, but, but you had saving faith, but you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. Your old sins got a hold of you again, on and off and on and off and on and off. But you, you really did know the Lord, right? He's saying, but you let, and, and he lists them here. He says, um, the, the deceitfulness or, or you're preoccupied in an unhealthy way with daily necessities. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be like pagans. Jesus' words. Jesus said, the pagans who don't have a God, who bow down to a piece of wood that they carved out, and they want that piece of wood that they made to provide for their daily needs, they need to be really concerned about their daily needs because the block of wood is gonna fall short, all right? But you, you have a heavenly father. He takes care of the sparrows. 
He takes care of the daffodils. You want to check out somebody who's well-dressed? Check out a lily. Check out a daffodil, man. And they get cut and they die and they're... Look at the sparrows. They don't bother going to work every day. They don't punch clocks and all of that. They're not hungry. God takes care of them. So, So would you stop with the preoccupation of the rat race? Because that'll make you unfruitful. Because all you care about is, uh, you know, uh, making money, making ends meet. That's all I care about. All of that is very important. But it's not the most important thing. Now that you have a father in heaven. Uh, He says, then the deceitfulness of wealth. Oh, man, come on. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. And everybody in this room, comparatively speaking to the rest of the world, is what we are all wealthy. So... Um, but there are some who are wealthier than others. There's not a problem with wealth in the Bible. He's just saying, watch out. It'd be better for you to pray that prayer in Proverbs that says, Lord, don't give me too much because I know my heart. Because too much, I'll deny you. Who's the Lord? Why do I need to pray today? Look at my bank account. You know, I, I need to be not reading my Bible right now. I'm planning my next trip to Aruba. All right, so... Aruba is a nice place. <laughs> so he says, uh, don't, don't make me too rich, Lord, and, and don't make me too poor. I don't want to be like so hungry I want to steal stuff, right? So he says, just, just give me my daily bread. Now that's a prayer that's not on any refrigerator <laughs> because we, you know, it's unappealing to our sinful nature. We want the, the prosperity thing. Is just, just watch out for that. Do you know how many Christians are going to be crashing on the runways of heaven with nothing to show for it, no jewels in the crown, no big cities to administrate over, and that's one of the rewards for faithfulness, is in the kingdom that comes, God wants administrators, and he's going to gift you a position of authority based and commensurate on your faithfulness here. And there will be people with not a lot of uh, honor in that regard. And in heaven, it'll all make sense and nobody's gonna be walking around with their hands down and oh, look at me. I ruined my whole life, you know. <laughs> and, and there'll be none of these glances from others looking over at you going, well, what was your problem, bro? <laughs> you know, look at me, I got 20 cities, what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, all of that nonsense will be done. Everybody will be like perfectly fitted and perfectly happy and it will make such perfect sense. We'll all be happy with it. It'll all make sense, trust me. But he says, don't let these things grow into your lives. Uh, You know, the weeds that come in. So it's just a weed your garden, weed your garden. This is what he's saying. Weed the garden or you're going to be so sorry. Well, a little sermon illustration. I love going back east and, and checking out my childhood homes. I just like to drive by them. They're just so long ago and I just see me and my brothers outside playing ball. It's just something I like to do. And I went to Wellesley Hills where, in Massachusetts and I went to the house where I was in fifth grade and it was turned into a college dorm house. Right, And so I saw one of the guys outside and I said, hey, I used to live here when I was in the fifth grade. Can I go in and check it out? And he goes, oh, you'll be really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, 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 I'm a guy. I know, I don't care, you know. So I went in, I was stepping over bodies, you know. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. You know, there was a pile of dishes, but, you know, who cares? Uh, So I said to him after I took a tour... I said, oh, my, I, the happiest memories in this house was uh, the horse in the back. And he goes, so, yeah, there's no horse in the back. And I said, there was a horse in the back. We used to ride the horse in the meadow. And he said, well, there's no meadow <laughs> or no horse. And I said, what do you mean? There's a, just a ginormous hill, and it goes down to this huge meadow. And he goes, dude, there's no meadow. Are you sure you lived here? I went in the back around the driveway in the back. It was a jungle. It was a impenetrable jungle, right? I'm telling you, it was open, a huge long slope, and then into a round meadow where we used to, uh, to ride the horse. The weeds, 
and the trees and the thorns and the briars. They just grew up. And I, I, couldn't, I remember thinking I couldn't even get three feet in. Where did the meadow go? That's what Jesus wants to ask us. Where is the Christian life? Well, it's in here somewhere. <laughs> Help. <laughs> Help. Oh, you know people like this. You might be a person like this. We go through seasons like this. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit is a great weed whacker. <laughs> but you're not going to get your weeds whacked unless you, A, are <laughs> aware of them. If you're in here going, oh, it's another sunny day, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, you know, and there are, there are, because with that, what did, the, what did he use the word? He used deceitfulness. That means you're duped and you don't even know you're in there and you're expecting all kinds of things when you get to heaven. Not a fire extinguisher on your tail feathers. <laughs> Let's move on. The good soil people. Let me just break it to you this way. There's no such thing as good soil person. No such thing. We already know from reading all other parts of the Bible that every heart is hard. Every heart cannot sustain life unless God helps it to. Uh, the heart is deceitful beyond all things, uh, beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. And everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. So what's he, what, how, a good sort of person, and he tells you in the text, are those who hear the word of God and accept and receive it and act on it. That will make your soil soft, depth, and weed-free. But you can't do anything about the soil. Oh, I don't like preachers and pastors who tell people to be something they can't be. Don't run around, oh, I've got to make the soil good. Good, good luck with that. You're not going to make your soil good. You will listen to the word of God. You will receive the word of God. You'll memorize the word of God. And you'll do the word of God. And that will plow the fallow ground. That will do all your weeding. It's the word of God. It's God who gives the increase. So it's how you hear, how you love the truth, how you embrace the truth, how you hear his voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They don't follow strangers. The goats can't hear his voice because they're not his. So when you hear God saying, uh-uh-uh, go, yes, sir, uh-uh-uh, and do what he says, that makes your soil good and abundant. This can, can we talk about, before we wrap up real quickly at least, um, the provocative uh, verses 10 through 12. When he was alone, the 12 said, what's up with all the parables? He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might actually turn and be forgiven. Well, first of all, what it is not. Isaiah's prophecy that Jesus is quoting there is not saying that God wants people not to be in heaven because we already have uh, abundance of scriptures and evidence that God, is, God so loved the world. And he, he wants his heaven to be filled. But here's what he's saying. Here's the reason it's placed here. And here's why Jesus is going to parables. If you've been paying attention, there are two groups forming. There's the inside. There's the outside. There's the good soil. And there's the three kinds of bad soils, right? There's the Pharisees who say, he's casting out devil by the devil. He's the devil. He, they're committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? And his family's saying, he's insane. We gotta lock him up. We gotta take care of him. So there's hostile opponents on the outside. And there's this inner circle of those who are have eager hears. They're here have eager ears, they are hearing, and they are being saved. There's an inside group and there's an outside group. Now suddenly, 
the outside group is merging and they're coming in. They're sending spies. They're, 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 they're informants. They're trying to trip and track, uh, trap Jesus, right? They're gathering evidence to kill him. So now he starts saying, hey guys, I got a story for you. And the purpose of parables is to let the inside, because parables are simple. And once you, once you get the feel of them, they're, they're a fifth grader gets them. So he says, he, they're all around him, the good and the bad, the inside, the outside. So he says, they're sitting here, they're taking notes to twist his words and all of that. He's not gonna play that game. So he says, I'm gonna talk in parables so that the inside people who hear with eager hearts and love the truth and wanna open and invite it will be blessed and things will be clarified. But to the outsiders, it'll all be nonsense. And, and they'll get what they deserve. They don't want to hear, so they won't be hearing. They'll be confused. Because, so, so let me give you an example, and it'll make sense to you. Okay, so they all gathered around. They're in a room. Three Pharisees who, it already says, are trying to kill him. So there are three murderers in the room and the disciples. And so now Jesus is going to say, hey, guys, um, let me put it to you this way. He says, the kingdom of God, and they're like, yeah, you know? And, and then the, the other guys are like, yeah, talk, Jesus. The kingdom of God is like going fishing. And he winks at the disciples, because they're fishermen, right? And he says, you know, you pull in the net, right? And you get all kinds of fish. <laughs> and the guys are like, uh-huh, yeah, we got it so far. And you got the good fish, and then at the end, you got somebody who knows what they're doing and they sit down and they pull up the net and they say, good, keep it. The good ones are saved. And what do they do with the bad ones? They throw those, not back, they throw them away into a furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's coming up. We'll see that. So now they're like, well, what did he say? He's crazy. He just talked about fish. You know, he's talking about good fish, bad fish, and then what? What? So, so what was his point? I don't know. You know, they don't know because in their heads, they're the good guys. So if you're starting trying to figure something out that Jesus is saying, and you're twisting and upside down and you think good is bad and bad is good, a story meant for Sunday school kids turns into a theological uh, conundrum. You can't understand it, right? But the disciples are like, oh, wow. You know, there's another one real fast. He says, okay, guys, we got the bad guys there. We got the good guys here. He goes, okay, a man had two sons. And the disciples are like, got it. <laughs> All right. So he says to one, he says, go work in my vineyard. And the guy says, no. And then the guy has a change of heart. And, he, and the son goes out and does the work. And he looks at his disciples. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. And the other son, what did he do? He said, yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. But he never went and did the work. Now, which of you, which of those two sons actually pleased the father? And everybody in the group says, the one who had a change of heart. So easy. But you know what? And here's the deal. Love Psalm 18. It says, don't play games with God. He says, to the pure, I'll show myself pure. To the faithful, show myself faithful. To those who, who want to hear the truth, I'll break it down to a four-year-old's level for you. It'll be easy for you. To the crooked who want to play games with me consistently. Everybody plays games with God's a little bit, right? But you consistently, that's the settling of your heart, is to play games with God. He says, I will treat you shrewdly. So here's what he's saying. You want to kill me? You want to twist my words? 
oh, oh no, I'm gonna speak in code now. All right, and that code is, is going to frustrate you because I'm going to give you what you want, which is nothing. You don't want the truth, so I'm going to bless and give you over because I'm way ahead of you. So nobody's going to sneak up and say, aha, we got him. God says, I'm so way ahead of you. I mean, I've had eternity to think about this, right? You know, the chess players who need some time to kind of work out their moves ahead of time. Well, can you imagine if you had a million years to concentrate on how you're going to move with the Pharisees? All he's saying here is you think you're playing this game, but I'm going to beat you at your own game. Now, let me show you a last little happy note here. A picture of the apples. He says, I want you to be fruitful. And if you hear and accept and do the word of God, and you keep doing that, you keep hearing, you keep accepting, you keep receiving, you'll be fruitful and it'll make God happy. You'll be happy. You'll be who you're supposed to be. In, in, in one, I wrote this down, in one seed, there's 10,000 apples because that one seed produces an apple tree that produces about 80 bushels of apples, right, a year. I have all the math here. Just trust me on this. <laughs> 10,000 apples are encoded in that one seed. So he's saying uh, 10,000 apples and something that can almost go under your, your fingernail. He's saying, listen, that's what I want. Not all apple trees do. You, you know, we, you are who you're, the kind of fruitfulness, uh, and only God will know, and only, only will know if, if Billy Graham reached his fullest potential. Maybe he didn't. It seems like he did, but, uh, right? But you don't know, so everybody's judged according to what God gave you to do. So you won't be compared to Billy Graham, neither will I. You won't be compared to a pastor, Right? And I won't get compared to other pastors or to you. I'll be compared to me. Right? That's what my abilities, my opportunities, my gifts, my callings. You don't have to worry about it. Go get the apples popping. Well, you just get your own apples popping. Right? <laughs> the apples that are supposed to be on your tree. And only you and God know about that. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you. For your love, thank you that now we get uh, an opportunity to remember your death on our behalf, which is really <laughs> the inspiration for all of this, Lord, is your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.